You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Bible for Normal People. Today, we're going to talk about the afterlife. Hmm. Death. What, what Death. happens when we die? Death. Yeah, what you know. This is the Bible for normal people. Because normal when people you die. get up on a Monday morning, you really need that pick-me-up, <laughs> that real smile on your face. What better to do that than to talk about your death? Yeah. Actually, this is my request. Uh, Jared's going to talk me off the ledge here because I'm like 59, and well, every joint in my body is rebelling at this moment. And I've been trying to – I've been try, I think I can avoid death if I try hard enough. <laughs> I think I have a plan. I, I, it involves the gym. <laughs> And a juicer, and I think I can probably make it work. Man, every infomercial <laughs> producer in the world is <laughs> loving you right now. This uh-huh. episode brought to you by <laughs> No Death Fruit oh, Juice. Man. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, you know, it well, is, I hate it to is break a topic, it to you, though. Because you are going to die. We're all going to so die. So it does affect us all. And we want to just look oh, at gosh. what does the Bible have to say about it? And I think we might be surprised about maybe dying it, or about the afterlife? About the afterlife. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but yeah. we might be surprised about what it says and doesn't say. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so. Once you start looking for it, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I can just, I can share. I, maybe we can test our, how we grew up. And you can tell me if this is similar for you. But for me, growing up, um, it was a pretty much a foregone conclusion that Christianity, that the Bible taught that when you die, you're, you become this soul your body stays in the ground, your soul is sent up to heaven, and then you're just with God. I think when I was really young, I pretty much just assumed I was singing hymns, I guess, mm-hmm. forever in this, like, looked eerily like the church I grew up in. <laughs> and that's just pretty much what happened when you die. That was the afterlife. It wasn't a big blue background with fluffy clouds. No, it was like, like red no. scratchy cushions. and. It is interesting. What do we think of? Right, right, with afterlife, and I wonder what ancient people thought of, you know. I and mean, we do have some clues in the Bible, I guess, but, but yeah, it's like, um, I mean, it is it is afterlife we're talking about. So it's basically, I, I guess, post mortem something, right, right. So afterlife, and you know, things like resurrection come into that and to play with that. But I think we're really not talking about whether any of that is something that is real or true. Right, we're just thinking out loud here, really, about how the Bible presents it, and then thoughts that a lot of people today have about this issue. Which, you know, because because your point, I guess, the Bible doesn't really nail it. <laughs> you know, it's right. almost like it's not even the main point, which is ironic, right? Because we're raised to think the whole point of this is to quote go to heaven when you die, right? And I'm not so sure. In fact, I am sure that that's not really the central issue in the New Testament, at least, and certainly not in the Old Testament. Right. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Well, let's start with the Old Testament because we have yeah. a various notions here of what what happens when we die. And again, I, I think it's I think there's something I can sense hesitancy in your voice and and in mine to even talk about this because it's not that central. No, it's because I'm dying. In the no, no, it's, yeah. it's not that central in the Bible. So even it is a little strange because it was so central for my for me thinking growing up of yeah what Christianity is all about. But the more you read the Bible, the realize like oh, it's not really, it's not really a thing. Yeah, and like. My students are shocked when we just talk about it. I say, matter of fact, there's there's no real clear notion of afterlife, at least nothing that we want to be a part of in the Old Testament. It's like, what? It's not there? Yeah, it sort of developed. It developed? What do you mean it developed? <laughs> Isn't the Bible all supposed to be the same thing because it's God's Word? Well, n- yeah, I guess, whatever. But, it's, you know, th- the fact remains, mm-hmm. right, that we don't have much to go on. We have that place, Sheol. Yeah, so let's talk about Sheol. Yeah, S-H-E-O-L, which is like, the the afterlife word mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, right? Where does it show up? Can you All think? over the place. Yeah, I mean it's it's common, but the thing is that it seems to not have one clear notion of what it is. You know, it's just the place. It's sort of like Hades in Greek. It's the abode of the dead. It's just where you go. So there's some sort of post mortem something, mm-hmm. but it's like a neutral zone. Yes, right? it's not hell. Right. It's not heaven. That notion is essentially foreign to the Old Testament, which is sort of a wake-up call right there. You know, it's like whatever's happening in our Bible, if there are any shifts in the New Testament, I think there are, but there are also shifts in Judaism later on. It, there is, it's a developing notion, but back in the old days, it's… Where do we – do you know where the, the phrase Sheol comes from? Like what, what does it represent or what – you know, because we call it Hades, but Hades is a Greek – Right uh, term, so that kind of developed within Greek culture. What's Sheol? I mean, in terms of where it comes from, to be frank, I don't know. And I'm not sure if anybody knows. You see footnotes in study Bibles that say things like, yeah, this is the place where dead people go. And just, <laughs> that's about it. But, you know, you, you catch glimpses of it in various places like Psalms, for example, where, hey, it, you know, you don't want me to die, do you, O Lord? Because in Sheol, no one praises you. So, it's a place where, you know, it's not singing harps, you know, singing with harps and clouds or something. Right. It's a place where it's it's like you don't have your normal existence. Yeah, you, know? you don't it's have like, a lot of agency. No, or, exactly. Yeah, right, right. You're just floating That's what, yeah, you're somewhere. just floating, I guess, that's what I always right. picture it as. Right, hmm. Well, and then, so we have so we have Sheol, which we see in various parts of, of the Old Testament. And that's often in more, would it be more in poetic things, I, I think of, like in the Psalms, I think of Sheol quite a bit, like uh, Psalm 139, yeah. even if I go down to, I think it's one of those verses in 139, even if I go down to Sheol, you know, God is still there. Right. Um, so, we have that 
as a as a notion, which is already a, a, a diversity in Sheol, because in some places it's just like it's almost like God is absent from you completely, and yet other places, right? So God isn't. Yeah. God isn't. So again, it's like maybe they're working it out themselves, right? Maybe they're thinking about it. Like, what happens to – no, seriously, what happens to us when we die? I'm not kidding now, you know? And you, you read stuff in narratives, you know, you some poetic stuff, mm-hmm. like to be gathered with your fathers or to be buried with your fathers, which is a way of saying you're dying mm-hmm. or you're dead. But it's a good kind of death and it's, it's a sign of, of a blessedness in death. And then your your life continues in your offspring, which is why offspring are so important. Yeah, so maybe let's even backtrack before Sheol, because Sheol is the idea of an afterlife. But for a lot of the Old Testament, it's kind of silent on what happens when you die. It's more interested, which I think is an important thing to say. I think it's more interested in your legacy living on in the life of your kids. Mm-hmm. That's right. sort of how you know you lived a good life, and that's how you live on into the future. It's yeah. through your kid. Which is not – I mean, I don't know. I, I know people today who think yeah. a lot like that. Even if yeah, they think yeah. of afterlife in some other way, you just – you want to – like, it's, how do you want to die? In a bed with your family around you mm-hmm. and your kids. When you're old. When you're old, right? You <laughs> forgot that important part. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not, like, right away. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're laughing about death. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this it's, it's uh, something that is – it indicates a – Like, you've died well, blessed by God, and you're gathered with your fathers, which, well, doesn't that mean afterlife consciousness? I mean, frankly, there's no indication of that. It could, or it could just mean you can be buried in the same country with your fathers. You'll literally be gathered with your fathers. Right. And you're all there together. And and maybe, I mean, I'd like to think there's some speculation there on the part of the ancient Israelites thinking, well – Maybe if we keep them all together. <laughs> yeah, in the afterlife, they're not going to get lost. Yeah, you know? so they're all buried. I mean, Abraham and yeah. Sarah buried in the same place, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, Well, I know. think I emphasize that because because growing up where the emphasis was so much on the other otherworldliness of faith, and I always appreciated learning of reading authors like John Levinson and others where they really emphasized that it's there is a way to die well without necessarily a belief in eternally living on forever. And I think that's important, especially because there are people of other faiths and there are people of no faith who I want to respect and honor their way of kind of living long lives and dying well. And it doesn't always have to include this anxiety of getting people saved so that they have this long eternal life. Mm -hmm. I I mean, for me, I appreciate that. It kind of calmed my anxiety to say, hey, a lot of the Old Testament doesn't seem concerned about that. It can seem, it's concerned about life is tragic if it's cut short. Life is good if it's long and you have children who can carry your name. And if if it's cut short because you're righteous or good. I mean, that's tragic, but it's also something to be honored, especially later on in Judaism. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I like, I mean, you mentioned salvation, which is a good thing to maybe just to tie into this because, you know, what salvation means in in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament is not you're on safe ground when you die. And that's exactly the assumption that I think Christians have made. That's not an assumption. They've highlighted maybe some few things in the New Testament that 
might indicate that, although I'm not very sure about that. But salvation, like in Luke's gospel at the beginning, when Jesus is born, the salvation is to save the people from their enemies. That's salvation. And and, and salvation, redemption, deliverance, words like that in the Old Testament, it, it is a this life thing. There's there's simply no question about that. Right. You can't really debate that. It's It's God shows God's presence by delivering people from enemies. And that's the preoccupation in some of the Psalms and, and elsewhere. Yeah. So, so we have kind of thinking about the afterlife, we have this idea of one notion that says, well, in a lot of places, maybe the assumption is they didn't really know what to do with the afterlife, but it was really more about long life, having posterity, legacy. Then we have this idea of Sheol, which is kind of this neutral it's always gray in my head for some reason. It's like the yeah. neutral zone. I feel like some scene in some Disney movie. Which one is it? Where I forget. <laughs> it's I it might be Hercules or something. You know. Oh and, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? mm-hmm. it Was like it's like a, yeah. the river sticks. You yeah, know, and like you know, Hercules, floating in the yeah. air and everything. Ah, but, you know, <laughs> that's like, right. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's just not a place you want to go, but it's a place you're inevitably going to go. Right. And but you're not tortured actively. No, it's not. not there's no. There's no devil down there. There might be, and not in the Bible, but elsewhere. There is somebody who's in charge. There's a deity in charge of this place to not let you out, right? Because you want to get out, right? right? But you're yeah. just sort of there in the Old Testament. That's it. And then, well, and then I want, <clears throat> want to point out Ecclesiastes because in chapter three, that old that old doubter, yeah, um, talks about you know who knows whether the soul goes up. Or the spirit goes up. Yeah. I don't know what the Hebrew there is. Is it Ruach? Um, I don't remember. Yeah. Who, this, uh, there was, yeah. Nefesh maybe, but probably not. Okay. Yeah. That's, we need to look up. We need to prepare for these podcasts, don't we? <laughs> it's in the Bible. Well, I figured you had the whole Bible memorized yeah. in Hebrew, Pete. Our, our listeners can look this stuff up. They're, they're fine. We're not going to tax them with too much information. But, but anyway, in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Who knows if the spirit of man goes up, up. and the animal goes down? Right. Which is interesting. That already assumes something. That's right. Right. Yeah. There seems to be yeah. uh, something in the air, right? Already. And and this is a post-exilic second temple text, and that's that's important too. I mean, people disagree on when it was written, but very few people say earlier than the fifth century, and some say mm-hmm. even a little bit later. So you already have developments there of. And uh, a, a different way of conceiving of the afterlife, and it's just sort of thrown at you here in chapter three. It's like you're supposed to know what to do with this, right? Now he's he's doubting it entirely, right? right? But the thing is, he's doubting it. What's the it? The it came from somewhere, and it didn't come from the rest of the Old Testament. It didn't come from pre-exilic Old Testament texts. Right. It came from somewhere, and that's the interesting thing. Right. Well, let's maybe go into that because I think that ties into. There's definitely a phase, right? So, if we're talking older, you you know, talk about pre-exilic. So, we're talking, you know, 6th century and before mm-hmm. Israelite kind of belief and practice, as we at least as we have it kind of recorded in the Bible. That's where we have kind of not a lot to go on. There's mm-hmm. just not a lot there. We have this uh, Sheol. But then as we get closer and we start getting to post-exilic, which is important because now we got all these other people groups starting to intermingle mm-hmm. with the Jewish people and we start getting like Hellenistic influences and other things. That starts to shape. It's interesting. You talked about development earlier, how the afterlife concept kind of develops um, and it develops coincidentally or not uh, obviously not, with 
these people groups that are now bringing their own ideas about the afterlife into it. So can you talk a little bit about that around when this would be and kind of what those influences would, would be? Yeah, I mean, in the context of other cultures who maybe have their own views on things and also theologically in response to things that stop making sense to them. So, I mean, with Ecclesiastes, that's a, that's a good question where he's getting this from, and I'm not sure if we can say with any certainty, but there's something in the air. And is it the result of Babylonian influence, or is it maybe Persian influence? Well, let's make, let's make that, that explicit. So, what we're saying is there is a belief in the culture in which Ecclesiastes is written where the spirit – there's a belief that the spirit of people goes up presumably mm-hmm. to heaven to be with mm-hmm. God, and the spirit of animals go down into the ground to be, who knows, um, yeah, like, gone. Like, you know? Yeah, what are they doing down Annihilated, there? Annihilated, whatever. Is this a conscious spirit goes down with animals? Right. Do animals go to heaven? No, right. Billy, they all go to hell. <laughs> they go down there. So, you know. <laughs> but, but so there's this, there's a, that's kind of the, the, it seems like that's the belief that Kohelet, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is assuming. He's calling into question a lot of stuff right. that, we would consider to be, you know, fairly straightforward, like orthodox biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. And he's he's skeptical. Yeah. And he's skeptical because he's somewhat of an evidentialist. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't see the effects of things. And so he says, who knows? We don't actually – I mean, it's actually – it's sort of refreshing. Yeah. He goes, hey, pal. I mean, he's kind of right. We don't actually we don't know, know. <laughs> anything. So, like, you, in other words, you can't – I've heard people sort of uh, try to correct – the negativity of this guy, Kohelet, as he called in Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. and say, well, he doesn't have, you know, an understanding of like, when you die, you go to heaven, everything's going to be okay. He's saying, I've thought through that one, and I don't know that it's there. Do you know that it's there? <laughs> right? I just, I know, I find it a little bit refreshing, mm-hmm. uh, but he doesn't dwell on that. You know, it's really just a little bit there right. in chapter three, right. and that's it. So, we catch a glimpse. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, again, like you said, there's, there's definitely an influence, and it's not coming from the rest of the Old Testament that this influence is, is coming. You said it could be Babylonian influence. It could be could it be Greek influence at this point. Uh, maybe if it's that late. Mm-hmm. And if it's that late, it would have to be – be real I mean, late, It might like even be the century. third century yeah. or at the earliest. And there are some people who think Ecclesiastes is that late. It's possible. It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. But it's coming from – I mean, I think it's enough to say it's coming from some type of reasoning process or influence that is after the tragedy of exile, which maybe is something that got people thinking about a whole lot of stuff. Mm. Right? Just, this could come to an end any minute, you know. And so, I mean, that's – apart from that, what else – we have Daniel, right? I mean, Daniel chapter 12 – Yeah, Yeah. until we get to the New Testament. Yeah, until we get to the New Testament. And there's stuff in between, too. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week, and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital, and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways, and that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy, and I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. 
I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-N-P. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose and it's just my throat hurts and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double-action combination of prescriptive-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. But, you know, Daniel is another one where there we have what seems to be a clearer notion of something post-mortem and it's in the context of judgment, but what do we have here? Daniel 12, starting in verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, come to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So now we're dealing with coming back to life. It's not like what happens to you after you die. It's sort of like, I mean, Tom Wright calls, talks about life after, life after death. And that's sort of what's happening here in Daniel. Uh, but those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So, this, this is a notion that actually you find elsewhere in Judaism at the time. Daniel is probably written in the second century, at least the final form of it. It may, it may have earlier yeah, um, which is Which is way, way late. It's pretty darn late, yeah. yeah. It's written in the context of Greek influence and a response to the persecutions that were happening early in the second century. And Daniel sort of alludes to that throughout the um, and places in, in his book. But but is this one of the first notions? So, so far we've been talking, we've been kind of been walking through the Old Testament in terms of ideas of the afterlife. Is this one of the first references that we have to this idea of what we might call like bodily pre-into-the-world resurrection. Something, yeah, this, this, is, this is it, in my opinion. Some, there was a passage in Isaiah that some people pick on, and I, honestly, I've read this so many times. I think it's in chapter 28. Again, I don't have the Bible memorized. But, I mean, you have national resurrection. And, 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 but again, resurrection and afterlife are not they're, – they're related. They're connected. They're not the same thing. So, like in Ezekiel, right, with the dry bones, and that res, that's clearly – a picture of Israel resurrecting as a people. Yeah, after the exile. Coming, mm -hmm. Exile is a place of death. Coming back to the land is resurrection. And that's the valley of the dry bones where they come back to life. And 
it's not mysterious at all what that means because Ezekiel says, I'm talking about the return from exile, right? So you have a national resurrection, but the resurrection business is all post-postmortem, right? So, I mean, on one level, if, if we just try to stick with what happens to you when you die, not one day in some distant future moment, but when you die, there isn't much to go on. Here, it's just, you know, you're in the dust, right? And then you raise to everlasting life. Now, the nature of that life is basically like the stars in the sky. And that's a notion of Judaism. That's one of, of several ways people talk about like that state of immortality, right? So, we have to make the distinction between the afterlife, what happens to you when you die? And at what point do you talk about, well, the immortality of somebody, and is it the immortality of the soul or of the body? And Jews have very different opinions on that sort of thing. But what happens to you after you die? Even Daniel is not helpful, really. It's not after you die. It's raised one day in the context of judgment. And I think that's a really, really important development in Judaism, that God raises the dead for the purpose of judgment. That's not an Old Testament notion other than Daniel. But Daniel's already participating in a way of thinking that's very much influenced by that Greek context. Hi, everyone. This is Megan Kamick, podcast producer here at the Bible for Normal People. Guess what I'm here to talk about? That's right. I'm here to remind you to change your furnace filters. I know. I know. It's a hassle, but you just got to do it. It's for your own good. Oh, And also, did you know that for as little as $1 a month, you can support this podcast? You can get yourself access to exclusive content and special privileges, like talking with other patrons, sharing your ideas for the podcast, and doing book studies with Pete and Jared. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash thebiblefornormalpeople to sign up. We'd like to thank a few members of our producers group for helping make this podcast better and better. A special thanks to Stephen Goldstone, Danita Fenn, Joe Johnson, Aaron Neff, Matt Porter, John R. Hawkins, Sean Bloom, and Joel Beebe. Thanks for all your support. Now back to the podcast. Is this where we get the idea of like apocalyptic literature where it starts to be, we're now a persecuted people and we have, we have to find a way to honor and to make sense of these noble people who die for a just cause this can't just be the end for them. There's resur- resurrection is a way to sort of, I don't know what the right word is, validate that to... to it's Actually, it's to justify God. It's, it's a defense of God, really. Right, yeah, because yeah. otherwise these innocent people are, are just mm. dying. Why be Jewish if you die before you see the return of the glorious kingdom? You know, the... The Davidic reign reinvigorated, which many Jews thought would be happening at some point. And if you are faithful in keeping the covenant, you would be rewarded for that by participating in the kingdom. But if you die, tough beans for you. So in order for God to be just to these martyrs or just people who just died, not even martyrs, just people who died – the the reasoning was, you know, well, God must raise the dead. 
what else can God do? And and I think it's fair to say, I mean, these things, folks, the 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 myriad of issues that interweave when you start talking about some of this stuff, it gets really a lot, and and there are different angles to take, but. At least for me, Jared, what I think is that this is a development during this period of time after the destruction of the temple, after they came back from exile, of thinking through basically what is God like and how can death be the end if God is going to be just to those who have been faithful to him. It's basically a matter of fairness and justice and and even to say God's righteousness, right? God, to, for God to be righteous, God must raise the dead <laughs> because otherwise they're just dead and all this, like, why bother being Jewish? That's really, in a sense, and, and people say the same thing about why bother being Christian? You know, if this life is all there is, well, yeah, eat, drink, and be merry and all that kind of stuff, right? Right, yeah. <clears throat> Which, again, Ecclesiastes addresses quite a bit. I mean, right. yeah. his answer is, yeah, well, I understand it's all vanity, but... Praise God, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Not, not a lot else going on. But it, yeah, so I, I wanted to mention one other passage we, had, we were talking about a little bit earlier before we uh, started recording because I think it's important here because it ties together that, you know, between the Old and the New Testaments, there's a lot happening in terms of the identity of the Jewish people and and these different people who are, are coming in and taking over and they have many different rulers and it, it's just a lot. And, and then there's other things being written. And so, one of the things that you mentioned was the wisdom of Solomon. And in chapter 3, it talks about the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. No torment will ever touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and their departure was thought to be a disaster, and they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. So, it ties in really well with what, I just kind of put a little teeth to what you were saying. I think it's a great example of this apology for God. It seems like they were destroyed, but really they are at peace. And this is the kind of stuff that's happening and going on during this time between the Old and the New Testament. Yeah, and, and there was some diversity too in, in Judaism, whether you know being raised and judged and passing that judgment, is it, is it a physical thing or is it more the soul continues? So really the, the issue is between resurrection – and immortality, and those are two different things. And what you just read in the Wisdom of Solomon is immortality. It's right. the soul continues. And there are strands of Judaism, not the least of which is Paul, who uh, felt that it was, well, the, the body is very, very important because the body has to be raised. See, this is the thing. The body has to be raised in order to participate in the kingdom why? Because the kingdom's here. A physical reality. Yes. It, it's yes. not up there someplace. The kingdom is here, so you participate in that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's sometimes missed. You know, like, we go up to heaven and we're sort of a spirit. Okay, well, you know, at the end, as, uh, you know, typical Christian thinking, in the end, what happens when Jesus returns? Well, the dead are raised. Okay, now what? <laughs> like, do we go back up again? No, well, not really. I mean, or are we up to begin with? Like, where are we? Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So you have you to need start... one of those maps. You are here. Yeah. Like, exactly. <laughs> but you see, you start plotting this stuff out, and it's like, I'm not exactly sure. And you start looking for passages starting in the Old Testament to help you map it out. 
Right. It's like I that doesn't my GPS is broken because I'm not I'm not finding it here. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that because I think that can be that can be a helpful way to categorize what can be confusing, which is resurrection and immortality. Because I don't think people often think clearly about the distinction between that. That for Paul and the much of the New Testament, there is a a bodily resurrection, would you say there's not a lot said about what happens between when you die and when Christ returns? There's not a lot said about what's going on there. The real important moment is when Christ comes back, the dead are all raised, and then there's a physical reality of living in this reinvigorated kingdom. Yeah, this new heaven and new earth, so to speak, but it is a physicality. It's not just an ephemeral thing. And, you know, I think what ties into this is Again, the notion of, well, use the word apocalyptic, the apocalypse, which isn't the end of the world, it's the end of an age and the beginning of a new one. And the hope is for the new age. The new age is marked by resurrection and the rule of God and things are at peace. And this, this was a major hope. But the thing is, and I think this, this to me has helped me make a lot of sense of this stuff, the notion was – this is going to happen pretty soon. We're not thinking like, you know, in thousands of years, Jesus will come back and then everything will be set straight. It's happening very soon. Hold on. Don't get married. You know, just just stay the pace. Don't, don't, don't falter. Don't disbelieve. Don't doubt because it's an urgent moment. And so, there are many people, loved ones that Paul writes to, you know, like in 1 Corinthians, it's a topic. Like, what about them? And Paul says, yeah, they'll be raised. I don't know if Paul – I mean, I'm I'm certain in my mind that Paul's not thinking like this could go on for a, a centuries upon centuries upon centuries. So, it's – let me say it's easier to think of this reconstituted physical kingdom where the Messiah Jesus is on the throne. He returns to reclaim his territory and those who have died who are all – in their minds, fairly recent deaths, or maybe going back to, you know, all the stuff that happened since the exile. It could be a lot of people, but it's not several billion more, right? So, I think it's easier to conceive of it, but for us, we have to th- – it's just – it's been a long time and – or all these people physically – I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here. All these people physically going to be raised? Where are we going to put them? How does that work? And and then do they die again, or is it just a forever kingdom on earth now? You, where we you don't keep die? going with your body, I guess. And you know it's a glorious body, this and that. And Paul talks about that in First Corinthians fifteen too. So you know, but it's a spiritual body, you know. And and people have like debated and to get into that. What there's like three podcasts, but what does that mean? A that's spiritual right. body, you know. But that's what I'm saying. Paul is like he says a few things. Yeah. Yeah, like, you have a corruptible body, then you get an incorruptible body. Yes, exactly. Right. That's what I meant. Yeah. And, and um, okay, could you expand that, Paul, for another paragraph? Help us understand what that means. We have these little indications that don't, f- forgive me, explain much. That's right. the thing. And some of us want explanations, and we want to know and understand. And I'm not so sure how much help the New Testament is and actually with that. I mean, Paul in, in Philippians, right, chapter 1, it's, yep. um, you know, to be with Christ is better by far. I could live, I could die, but 
you know, to, to, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Okay. In what sense does that mean? I mean, mm-hmm. like, uh, you're going to stand there talking to him? Is it like a spiritual connection thing? What happens? And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes, right. So there's a sense of immediacy in that kind of mm-hmm. more, more, maybe not immortality, but what happens when you die? Right. There's a sense of, well, you get to be present with the Lord in and, that And sense. it seems to be a holding pattern. Until, right. yeah, and then you get to come back with Jesus, I guess. I wonder if it's sort of a Sheol kind of thing. And the I'm waiting just, room? Yeah, and I'm sort of tying things together here a little bit just as I'm riffing, but the whole issue of Jesus at his resurrection, the harrowing of hell, as we say. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's reclaiming the dead as his and sort of putting an end to that. Maybe that's going on with Paul. I have, but again, my point is I have no idea really. I'm right. just sort of riffing here. So, right. and when we talk about, you know, practically speaking afterlife today – just other issues come to mind that probably didn't have to come to mind with them. Like the universe was smaller back then. And it's like, okay, God is going to set up shop in Jerusalem again. But we have this infinite space that we live in. And what does it mean for God to show up? And and is physicality really everything? Or, you know, when you die, is there consciousness? What does consciousness mean? People, philosophers and neuroscientists talk about consciousness, and I don't understand half of it, but it's really interesting. And some say consciousness is something that is is a product of material existence, namely your brain. Others mm-hmm. say, no, nah, it seems to be like that doesn't account for this. It seems to be outside of it. I'm hoping the outside ones are right, but <laughs> who knows? But who knows? Who like Kohala said, who I knows? don't know. Yeah, right. that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, I just want to go back to one thing you said was in the New Testament that the idea that people will be resurrected and that might just be local. I just want to point out in Luke 13, Jesus mentions in this great kind of role reversal, he said, well, I'm basically going to grab Abraham – Isaac and Jacob, they're going to be with me in the kingdom with all these other random people, and there's going to be a lot of Jewish people who aren't going to make it because yes. of this. So, and, and all the people are pissed off and right. you know upset. Um, but in that sense, like he's going all the way back to the, the, the right. patriarchs right. to resurrect for this kingdom. Right. Um, so, and, and it's not they're going to heaven and the others are going to hell. It's the constitution of a kingdom, and the question: Okay, what happens to those who don't pass? the bar, right? Right. Well, there are differences of opinion. Some just... We just know there'll be crying and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) We don't know what that means. They just stay dead. Right. Or or, um, they cease to exist. The the notion of, of being tormented for eternity, I mean, we'll leave this for other people, but that is a notion that is utterly foreign to the New Testament. I reject it completely. But A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. 
Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We love the process. This spring, they have their best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. I think we, what, what happens is once we get out of kind of what we're talking about today, like this, this fuzzy doesn't seem to be that important to the biblical writers to get really clear on what happens when you die. Even if it wasn't that important, I'm with Kohelet. How could you really know? And so, anything about eternal conscious torment when you die, all that, it's by nature speculative. And it's, it, you're outside the realm of, of biblical studies right. at that point. Yeah, I guess even, you know, for people who are Christian still to ask the question, was Paul speculating? Or was Paul also a part of his... Jewish apocalyptic matrix, so to speak, where there were certain assumptions made, if that's the right way to put it, there are beliefs, certain beliefs about what the end means. And again, the end seems to not be shaped in, well, you go to heaven when you die, it's the kingdom will be set up. What about all those people who died? Hey, good question. Let's think about this. Hey, I know. <laughs> God will raise the dead, and, and in the meantime, there is a holding place to go to, and that's what Paul seems to be talking about. There, there must be something like that, right? And he believes that. He fervently believes that. That may come from his, his Jewish context where he's putting pieces together. And it is, you know, whether – and I know this is not the easiest thing for everyone to sort of think through, and I totally respect that, but – what it, how do we think through this outside of a Jewish apocalyptic right. matrix? We do. That's we not the water do. we swim in. It's not. And you look to the Bible and say, well, the Bible says this, but what if the Bible's talk about afterlife is encultured? Yeah. Shaped by and conditioned by this certain environment. Right. Mm -hmm. And like other things in the Bible – 
once the environment changes, we have to, if I can use the word, Jared, reimagine things and ask different sets of questions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> well, I want to come back because yeah. I think it kind of come. We come back full circle here as we as we wrap up this episode, and that is, you know, we talked about the emphasis here on at the beginning of our Bibles in the Old Testament, there is more of a physical emphasis. There is an emphasis on the physicality of um, our lives. Um, from the patriarchs on, it's about living a long and full life, obedient to God. And then here, just what you were saying, when the New Testament rings a, a similar sound, which is, we're talking about a physical kingdom. And so, kind of from beginning to end, this question, um, it just helps me think about the question isn't really in the Bible, how do we figure out what happens when we die, uh, but how do we either prepare for, be ready for this kingdom of God, how do we live a long and full life here and now? It's a very earth-centered narrative, mm-hmm. kind of beginning to end. There isn't a lot of outer space, afterlife talk. No, because resurrection is, it, it assumes that Physica- the centrality of the physicality of it right. all. And like, what about in between? I don't know. You know, it's just, you have, you exactly. have ideas, right? And, but again, again, other strands of Judaism, it's not the physicality of it all. Like with Daniel or with the wisdom of Solomon, there is another dimension, is which is the immortality. Of, yep. And, you know, I know a lot of Christians have been criticized for having more sense of like the immortality of the soul, not the physicality of it, because the Bible says physicality. But there are reasons for thinking about immortality of what we might call consciousness and not mm-hmm. the soul. But um, the Bible's diverse. The Bible's diverse, and also our context is different. So, you know, I think it's okay to talk about these things, you know, mm-hmm. and not to say, well, here the teaching is clear. Oh, heavens, it's not clear. There are things that are said, but even what Paul says, it raises other sorts of questions that I think are really good things to be talking about. Right. Well, what I hear you saying, which I think is a, a larger point that we can maybe explore in another episode t- We can sometime. call it After Afterlife, another <laughs> episode. <laughs> another episode. Uh, is that the, we don't need to let the, the Bible doesn't get to constrain the questions we ask. Does that make sense? That it's legitimate and it's appropriate and it's healthy and important, actually, to ask questions that the Bible isn't equipped to even ask. Because of the context in which it was written in. Questions that never entered into the minds of the writers right. are in our face all the time. Because it, it almost seems like sometimes in certain traditions or in certain communities of faith, those are like out of bounds or off limits. Like you can't even talk about these, like you can't talk about neuroscience in relation to consciousness because that language isn't in the Bible. And so, since the language is in the Bible, we don't really even know what to do with these categories of thought that have given us things like artificial intelligence and all of these other things that really need to be a part of the conversation. But a lot of times we cut them off at the knees that like we don't allow for it because, well, what would Paul have to say about it? It's like our minds can't even compute because, well, obviously, Paul wasn't thinking about that. And that's that's part of the reality of having a faith today that is always in conversation with, even rooted in an ancient story and text, but that still doesn't 
almost by definition address all the questions that we have. And that's this is just a microcosm, Jared, of the entire history of Christian thought because that's what's been happening. People, The contexts have changed, situations have changed, and people have had to ask fresh sets of questions that, yeah, are fresh that, that were not asked before. Well, folks, I guess we could be talking about the afterlife for an eternity. <laughs> wasn't, it, wasn't it really funny there, folks? Anyway, but no, that's all the time we have today. We've had a good time talking about this. And uh, as we sign out, we want to thank the people who make this possible. Like, for example, Megan Kamek, who is our podcast producer. Yes, and Shay Box, who is our creative director. She makes everything look so pretty. Yes, I know. And Reed Lively, who is our community champion, who connects with all the people out there and makes that flow. And last but certainly not least, Dave Gerhart, who is our audio engineer extraordinaire. Who doesn't, like, cut in, like, bad words, you know, when, when he's doing these But he podcasts. does cut out our bad words, and so we are... <laughs> Great yours, one. Jared. Maybe not, you know, maybe not mine, but yours. So anyway. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try.